The reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when, <clears throat> for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For when we are God's fellow workers, you are, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself, if anyone among you thinks he is wise in his age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Thank you, Mackenzie. Um, and welcome to all those. I know that we have a lot of visitors here uh, for the baptism, so welcome to you guys as well. Um, if you're not from uh, Georgia, we wanted you guys to get the full effect of the heat so we turned off the air conditioning, and um, so we wanted everybody to sweat together. I'm just kidding. This, the air conditioning is just not working. So um, I love air conditioning. So we would have it on full blast if it was working. So, Well, if, also, if you're new with us, we have been working our way through the, the, the letter to the church in Corinth, the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote. Um, and so we've been we've been trying to as we as we're looking at this book, and we're only in the, the third chapter, so you really haven't missed a whole lot. But as we look at this book together, we're trying to answer the question that I believe First Corinthians answers, and that question is: How do we live as a unified body in a fractured world? How do we live as a as a unified community or a unified church? in a world that is essentially broken apart or is breaking apart. So for the Corinthians, the underlying problem is a forgetfulness of, of what the cross means for the believer. And this causes them uh, to, to default sort of back to their old life, to their worldliness, to the culture around them. They're, they're saying, well, the culture is doing this, uh, and it seems to be successful, so we too are going to default back into this. And the way that we saw this is through their dissension and dividing that they were having over their leaders. And so this was causing them essentially to be stunted in their spiritual growth. Even so, they were, they were possibly even regressing and declining in their spiritual growth. 
And specifically, they were acting like the world in their jealousy and strife over the leaders they followed. So Paul hints at this in chapter 1. He wants them to know, hey, this is where we're going. This is something that we're going to talk about. And so in chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, he brings this up. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul recognizes that this sort of disunity around loyalty to certain leaders has the very real potential of splitting the church apart and dividing these Christians in Corinth. Now you might think, well that seems really silly and it seems really petty that they would divide over something so Uh, so trivial, it seems. But before you go there in your mind, let me me just give you uh, this sort of test for you right now as we begin this sermon. What sort of internal response do you have when you hear certain things? I'm going to name some names of people and organizations. Don't answer out loud. Do not cheer, or you're going to embarrass yourself. But when you hear the name Joe Biden or Donald Trump, or the Republican Party, or the Democratic Party, or Black Lives Matter, or All Lives Matter, nationalism, the American dream, or maybe you're more theologically inclined, and so you, uh, when you hear the words uh, reformed theology, your heart skips a beat. Calvinism. And I'm going to name some names here, and doesn't, it's okay if you don't know who they are, but if you know who they are, you, you know who you are. Paul Washer, John Piper, John MacArthur, Doug Wilson, N.T. Wright, John Mark Comer. That was just for Hunter Maynard. That's the only reason I had that one in there. But if you have any sort of visceral response to any of those things that I just read off, even if they were good, like some of those names are are, are good and they're doing good things. But whatever kind of response you have, whether it was excitement or anger or bitterness or being uncomfortable or whatever it is, the temptation to divide and cause discord in the church is alive and well in your heart today. People have and will divide over the most trivial things that you can imagine. Which just tells us the very same temptation lies within each of us. The temptation is to build on the wrong foundation and and to build with the wrong materials, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 3. And this is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They were building on the wrong foundation. They were building with the wrong building materials. And Paul is saying, you need to be redirected back to the right foundation. And so we see how Paul does this in three ways from our text this morning. And I think these points are on the back of your your worship handout that you received at the door. But the three points are this, the the derailing of growth. So Paul wants them to know you are being derailed in your growth. Things are not right. The second is the reorientation of growth. And then the third is the reconstruction of growth. So the derailing of growth, the reorientation of growth, and the reconstruction of growth. So the first point, the derailing of growth. So if you've been with us and you you walk through chapter 1 and chapter 2 with us, we sort of knew where Paul was going since chapter 1, verse 10, when he immediately addresses these divisions that are happening among the Christians. And now we learn in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, this sort of splitting is not just as simple as new churches forming under these different leaders, as is very common in our day. When a, when a split happens in our church, it is usually no going back. 
And so maybe some of you have been a part of a church split before. And let me just say, church splits are not good. Even if another church gets planted off them, they are not initially a good thing. Because you're probably splitting over something that can be resolved. And so this is happening. This isn't, this isn't something that Paul is just like, hey, Apollos, you go over here and you plant this church. Cephas, you go over here and you plant this church. And I, Paul, will just kind of handle these guys. You just go out and do that. The work's being multiplied. Let's just go from there. That's not what Paul does. Because this isn't just affecting their, 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 their unity, but this is affecting their growth as Christians. So much so that Paul says in verse 1 that he cannot address them as spiritual people. So what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Well, the way in which Paul is referring to this, there's lots of spiritual people out there. I would say, I would argue that most of us are spiritual, whether you are a Christian or not. But Paul isn't sort of giving the broad term of spiritual here. He is speaking specifically about Christianity. And so if you go back to chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, Paul goes over what he means, what it means to be spiritual. Just look there with me. Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the, th- the things freely given us by God. And we impart this, w- this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So after giving this this criterion of, of a spiritual person, Paul now says to the Corinthians, I could not address you as these types of people. And instead, he refers to them as people of the flesh. And if that, that, that phrase translates, literally translates as carnal, or, or that means uh, uh, of the world. You are people of the world, and that is how I had to treat you and speak to you. Now, the question you may be asking after you hear those words is, are the Corinthians actually believers? Are they, are they, are they Christians? Because to say someone is of the world is a pretty damning claim upon someone. And I'm sure this may have even led the Corinthians to begin to to, to doubt whether they themselves were true believers since the words of chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, did not agree with their own conduct. And let me just say, sometimes that is not a bad place to be. To to kind of put you into that spot so that you can kind of reevaluate what does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? And this is sort of where Paul puts the Corinthians. So what's going on here? Is Paul addressing non-Christians? And I would say absolutely not. Paul is not addressing unbelievers. Rather, he's addressing Christians whose conduct is not in step with the gospel. They are out of step of what it means, uh, uh, what Christ crucified means to the believer, to the church. So having written concerning the objective glory of the church uh, that, that they have in Christ, which is the cross, he now points out that the conditions at Corinth do not agree with the believer's state in Christ. So I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again and again because it's, it's worth uh, being reminded of this, but if you were to look at kind of the your life on a spectrum, or even just the Christian life, your spiritual life, whatever it may be, and, and on, on you know this side you have the cross, and on this side you have the world, uh, the Christian is always to be moving to the right. The Christian is to always be moving toward the cross, not away from the cross, but always moving toward the right. I love how the pastor, the former pastor Eugene Peterson had a book titled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, because even as I say that, 
Uh, that doesn't mean that this line going towards the cross is always going to be a straight and perfect line. It's going to be downs and there's going to be ups all along the way, but the common denominator is that it's moving closer and closer to Jesus, not away from him. So what we have in Corinth are Christians moving away from the cross, not toward it. So a major reason why I can say that with confidence uh, that he's addressing Christians is because of the second way he refers to them as infants in Christ. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. So this is telling us that Paul is still feeding them the truth. Now, it's basic truth. It's, it's low-hanging fruit. He's reminding them of the gospel uh, message, the basic gospel message over and over again, which just, by the way, we all need to be reminded of over and over again. We get caught up sometimes in the deeper things of God, but sometimes we, we do need to come back and be reminded of the simple truth of the gospel. But we also need to move uh, into deeper things that, that show us deeper things about the gospel. We never move away from the gospel, but we move into deeper things about the gospel. The Corinthians weren't there yet. And so Paul had to address them at a certain level. He's still feeding them the truth, and they were still receiving the truth, but it's at a low level here. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, we get a more detailed explanation from the author there of sort of what's going on here. The author writes, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what this means for the Corinthians is simply that they were not growing in Christ. They were, they were having a, a hard time distinguishing between that which was good and that which was uh, right between uh, the foolishness of the world. They were still struggling with that. And this was stunting their growth in the gospel. And growing, just so you know, is a, is a natural process of what it means to be human, right? Living healthy things are meant to grow, growing physically. So a little baby should be growing. That's why we have these, these growth charts that your pediatrician has, and they stick your, your child on there and say they're in this percentile, and they're, they're, they're growing in a healthy way. And so a baby is to grow to a child and then to a teenager and then to a, a, an adult, that's healthy. If you're growing a business, if you don't have customers, you're not healthy. You're not growing the business. It's not growing. It's dwindling, and so that's not good for business. Growing intellectually or growing mentally, that's healthy. A growing church is healthy. A growing city is healthy. So the problem is, if, if growth isn't happening, that's usually a pretty good indicator that something is wrong. Something isn't right. Something isn't healthy. And that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. Even though they had this desire to grow, and they did have this desire to grow, the, the fact that they're identifying themselves with, with Christian leaders does tell us that, that they have a desire to grow. They're, they're trying to say, well, I, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. These guys are spiritual. Um, they know the gospel. They're teaching us what's right and good. But the problem is their desire is being derailed by this exact same thing as well. Look at verse 3. For you are still of the flesh... For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So the main thing to pick up on here 
It's not just the division over leaders. That's just, that's just kind of the surface. That's the way this is all playing out. It's kind of on the surface. There's always something deeper going on in the heart. And Paul is saying the deeper things that are going on in your heart are jealousy and strife. Specifically in relation to these Corinthian uh, leaders of the church, but jealousy and strife is what is working its way around their hearts. So in the book of Galatians chapter 5, uh, also a book that Paul wrote, Paul calls jealousy and strife works of the flesh, on par with idolatry and sorcery and sexual immorality. So this was not a, a basic sort of, uh, of issue that could, could easily be dealt with, just a course correction. Hey guys, let's all follow Paul. Let's all, let's all vote to make sure that we're all following Paul here or we all want to follow Apollos. That is not what the situation is right now. This was sin rooting itself in the hearts of the Corinthian Christians and was causing them to rip apart the body of Christ. Because these types of sin, Paul says to the Galatian church, are in direct contradiction to the fruit of the Spirit the believer should be producing. So simply by saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, the Corinthian church is pitting Christian leaders against one another. So Paul says they are behaving in a human way. He, he says you are, you are merely acting human, sinful. And their human way was tapping into the wrong resources for growth. Now, this is a, a, a good diagnostic question to ask yourself by way of application here. Uh, if you sense that you are not growing as a Christian, the first question I would ask is, are you searching for growth and progress in the Christian life? D do you want to grow as a Christian? That's the first question you should ask yourself. But then the second question, if that answer is yes, the second question you should ask yourself is, where are you searching for growth and progress in the Christian life? Maybe you look to those things that money can buy. Well, if I just join this gym or get these clothes or go to this place or read this book, then I will be spiritual. Then I will have some sort of understanding of myself and my need. Or, or maybe you look to individuals. Maybe you look to that romantic relationship to, to fulfill you and, and, to, and to fill you up. Maybe you're looking to thoughtful celebrities. There's a lot out there. Social media influencers or even influential religious leaders or pastors? Are you looking to those things that are merely the human way to bring you a sense of growth and progress? If your answer is yes, if you're being honest with yourself, you're no better off than the Corinthians are. Because ultimately, the decision to seek growth in other things and other people is a turn inward. You're, you're really turning toward the self, which is proper in our individualistic age right now, isn't it? To turn towards the self because I know what's better, what's best for me. To trust yourself above everything and everyone else to determine what growth for you looks like. And so your mantra might be, I'll do what's right for me. That's what I'll do. I'll do what makes me happy. I'll do what fulfills me. But at the end of the day, you are at best what Paul calls the Corinthians here, a baby in Christ, and need to do the things that growth requires of a baby. At worst, you're not a Christian at all, and you need to come to faith in Christ. Now, I say at worst because as, as, as an unbeliever, 
You are. You are. You are. Not, you are destined for an eternity in hell, not uh, eternity with God. And so I say that as a warning, but I also say that in a, in a small way, and this might sound a little weird, as an encouragement, because we live in such a, a um, as, as uh, the author Flannery O'Connor used to say, that, that we live in the Christ-haunted South. And so everybody uh, around us would say, majority of the people, if you walked out this door and asked them if they were a Christian, most of them still, to this day, would say, yes. But I would say most of those people who say yes should be saying no. So if you're here today, and you all are, but you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you're saying no to that, be encouraged by that because that is the starting point you want to be at. You don't have to kind of go through the, the whole mirage of, well, I think I'm a Christian, or, or, or I went to church with my grandmother, or I was baptized as a, as a child, and so I, I think I'm a Christian. But to come to that point where you're not saying, I am not a Christian, is a good place to be today in this place. Because the simple act of that is to repent of your sins and to believe the gospel. That's it. Because looking at both sets of these people, whether you're a baby in Christ or whether you're not in Christ, both sets of people, uh, for both sets of people, true growth, true progress, true fulfillment is only to be found in Christ, nothing else. And in order to get there, we must have our understanding of growth reoriented as the Corinthians do in verses 5 through 9. Look there with me. Paul asks, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul doesn't shy away from the matter at hand here. He goes back to the original problem he brought up in chapter 1, that is splitting the church apart, uh, not just in half, but splitting the church in fourths. So I follow Paul, Peter, Apollos, I follow Christ. Paul says this sort of behavior is merely human. So they need reorientation back to what is right. So Paul tackles this by addressing the problem they have with the role of their leaders. Verse 5, he asks, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? And then he answers his own question. Here's who they are. Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So Paul is saying to them, what Paul is doing here as one commentator calls it, this is a great word that this commentator made up, but this is what Paul is doing to him and Apollos and to Cephas. He is de-pedestalizing them. He is de-pedestalizing them. He is removing them from the pedestal that the Corinthians have put them up on. And as often happens, we do like to put ministry leaders and ministry and pastors and other spiritual leaders up on pedestals whether they want to be or not and essentially if this is you essentially what you do when you do that is you just give them a higher platform in which to fall because let me just say as as a christian leader as a pastor i will fall i will fail you. I will sin against you. I will make you angry. I will disappoint you. Or I should be saying, I have disappointed you. I have made you angry because I know I have. And if I'm up on this pedestal and I am the end all be all, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Not just with me, but with any Christian leader or spiritual leader out there, you will be disappointed. Now I say that but at the same time, the scriptures are clear about honoring and submitting to your leaders. It's not just to walk all over them and stomp on them and say, I don't care what you say anymore, Kevin, because you said that you were you know, going to fall off this pedestal or whatever it is. The scriptures are pretty clear about honoring and submitting to your leaders. 
but not to the extent that you worship them, not to the extent that you justify their sinful behavior, and not to the extent that you follow them blindly and don't ask questions about what they're teaching. So Paul de-pedestalizes uh, Apollos, but he also de-pedestalizes himself when he asks the question, what then is Paul? I mean, Paul didn't know, like in our day, Paul now is, is probably one of the greatest evangelists um, to ever live, to ever walk the face of the earth. He was, he was an intellectual giant, and we, we kind of honor Paul in that way. There are tons and tons of books written just about Paul. Paul had no idea that was going to be his thing. Paul just said, uh, for, me to live as, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I wanted to know nothing among you but Christ crucified. That was Paul. Paul didn't care about fame. He didn't care that books were going to be written about him. Essentially, the question that Paul is asking is how do we make you grow? What do we do? What process do we have in helping and making you grow? So another way he de-pedestalizes is he, he calls himself and Apollos servants. He, instead of going high, which Paul could have done, Paul could have used his authority to put himself up on a pedestal. He could have ruled over the church in Corinth and all of the other churches that he was writing to at that particular time, but Paul never does that. Paul always goes low. And so Paul says here, we are just servants. We're nobodies apart from Christ. We're no one special. Now, Paul does this not to, not to discredit their ministry, but again, to clear the path for the Corinthians to know where their source of growth is found because they've been missing it. They, at this point, they really have no clue where their growth is found. They were more concerned with who delivered the message than the actual message itself, which left them drinking from a bottle rather than feasting on meat. So Paul is reorienting them to where growth actually comes from. Look at verses 6 through 9. Paul says, I planted, so I planted the seed of the gospel here in Corinth amongst you. Apollos came along later and he watered, but God gave the growth. So, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are, a, are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So he reorients them by putting him and Apollos in the same category. Look, the planter and the waterer are this, essentially the same person, you could say. We're one. They're doing what they are called to do, and, and they can't make anything grow. So a number of months ago, my, my son and I, we, we, we transplanted some uh, knockout roses because all of my neighbors have these beautiful knockout roses going on, and we have none. And so we transplanted some, and we put, we, we put them in the ground, and, and, and the only, we planted them, and then we watered them. And there is nothing else that we can do to make them grow. Nothing else that we can do. And that's the same principle that, that is happening here amongst these Christians in Corinth. Paul is planting the seed. Apollos is watering the seeds. And that's it. That's all they can do. Because the efficiency of growth rests on God alone. Not on Paul. Not on Apollos. Not on me, not on anybody else, but on God alone. As one commentator said, God is the giver of growth, the giver of health, the giver of life, the giver of vitality, and the giver of flourishing. And we only get this sort of growth as we root deeper and deeper into the sustaining realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else, no one else, period. And as you grow in Christ, you will begin to see that, that, that part of the growth is, is this reconstructing of 
your faith, this reconstructing and under, of understanding of where your growth is actually coming from. It's really you're getting renewed as to who God is in your life, that he is the grower, that you're fully dependent upon him. So it's in verse 9 here that Paul transitions from an agricultural analogy to an architectural analogy. He moves from calling God's people God's field to now calling them God's building, which is sort of a more appropriate um, analogy to use God's building since he was preaching into this major metropolitan area. But it's also a really good analogy for us as well, although we're not in New York City or in Atlanta even, but we are a growing city and things are being built up. And there's not, I wouldn't say there's many farmers amongst us. There might be some, some visiting here today. Well, I know Paul Tan's a farmer, but that's about it. That's all I can think of right now. But most importantly, it's an effective metaphor because, as you'll see, it unifies the Corinthians around one person. The only person that can uphold this, this sort of community, this diverse community of, of people, this, this, uh, this, uh, this kind of crazy thing called the church, the only person that can uphold this is Jesus himself. Look at verses 10 through 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul, being a good leader, lays out everyone's role here in the church. Everyone that's involved in this building project, Paul lays it out. Paul says, look, I'm the master builder. I'm the one who kind of came in to, to plant this thing. Um, the Corinthians are the building that are being built, this church that is being built up in Corinth, not, not a physical structure, but actually a body of believers being built up. And then Jesus himself is the foundation on which all of this is being laid, which means we're all in this building project together. Every single person, if you, if you uh, uh, profess to be a Christian, you are in this building project with other Christians, which means you are bringing all your gifts to the table to build this beautiful community that we know as the church, no matter how gifted you think you are or you may or may not be, you are helping to build this place, this people. Stephen Um, who was a, who was a pastor in Boston, he, wrote, he has a commentary on uh, 1 Corinthians, which is wonderful. But he says this, he says, Paul is saying that the church is a communal building project. We need to all participate in building this with our respective responsibilities, just as we are invested in building our marriages, building relationships, building friendships, and building careers. We need to equally, if not more, equally involved in building the church, a community of God's grace. And he's right. Building the church often doesn't get the attention that building our marriage does, or building our career does, or, or building your friendships get. But it should. It really should. Listen to Paul explain this very idea to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, so Christ himself, Christ himself gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let me just stop right there. Paul says, yes, Christ has given you pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles. He has given you all of those things. He's given you those people to fulfill their gifts amongst you, but they are supposed to be doing one thing, which is to feed the body and to equip the saints, not just to sit in a chair every Sunday, but to do the work of service, to do the work of ministry, 
to do the work of building up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in faith and become mature. Every single one of us has that particular job. And then Paul goes on. When we, when we do this, when we do this effectively, when we are using all our gifts to build up the body of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Because if you're a Christian, God has given you gifts to use to build his kingdom and to build up and encourage his people. And this is what Paul puts, this is how Paul puts it to the Corinthians in verses 12 through 15. He says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul is saying there are two types of work, or better, two types of building material that are used in this particular building project. One type of material will last, and the other type of material will burn. It won't last. So, so one is imperishable. So when Paul talks about gold and silver and precious stone, imperishable, that's going to last. One is perishable, wood, hay, and straw. So what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here is the Corinthians have essentially been building with wood, hay, and straw. They have been building with perishable materials, which is seen in their splitting the church between these different leaders. They're not building on the foundation of Christ, and in the end, all that they, all that they do will be burned up. There will be nothing to show for. So this means that not only is the person and work of Jesus Christ the foundation of the church, he is also the building materials of the church. So another question to ask at this point is what are you building on? And if it's not Christ, what are you, what are you building with? What are you building on and what are you building with? So some of you, this might come to your mind as Jesus' parable on the houses that were one was built on sand and the other one was built on, on the rock. Uh, and it's a good test to see whether or not you're building rightly. So Jesus' words in Matthew 7, he says, Everyone then, he's speaking to a crowd, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Are the things that you are currently doing building on the rock of Christ, or are they building on the shakable sand? Because if you're building your life, say, on your career, it could be gone tomorrow. And just so you know, and as some of the retirees in the crowd know, eventually you will stop working. So you will no longer have that to be your identity. You will no longer have that to, to, to kind of ground you in reality anymore. It'll, it's going away. If you're building your life on your marriage, it could be gone tomorrow. Your spouse could die. Your spouse could leave you. If you're building your life upon your kids, let me just tell you, they're all leaving. As soon as they hit 18, they're ready to get out the door. 
So if you're building your life upon your kids, you are going to be sorely disappointed in 18 years. If you're building your life on your health, fleeting. If you're building your life on material possessions, they are rotting and rusting even as we sit here. If you're building your life on new waves of doctrine or philosophy or political ideologies that promise to bring new understanding or new insight or, or, or even hope, these two will be disappointing. They will fail you. But to build on and to build with the gospel, this is what has deep-rooted value both now in your present life and into the future. It, it can never be shaken. Moth and rust cannot destroy it. Moth and rust can't even reach it. So once all of this happens, once you kind of come to this understanding, this is when reconstruction can begin. And this is what Paul lays, lays out for the Corinthian Christians in verses 16 through 23 by reminding them of not only who they are, because that's what he's been doing since the beginning of chapter 1. This is who you are, but he's also reminding them whose they are. Because they, they need to know that. Verse 16 and 17 do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So Paul calling the Corinthians here God's temple was, was to use sacred language. It was kind of scandalous to do this because the temple in that day and age, especially amongst the Jews, was a sacred place. So, so to call a bunch of these dirty Corinthians the temple of God, Paul was making a point here. And he does this to remind them that they're not just a collection of individuals sort of on their own path of spirituality and they were, you know, get there however you can. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, rather, that they belong to each other. They belong to each other. You see, you and I don't live as isolated Christians. In fact, you can't live as an isolated Christian. To live in isolation is to live a life that is not natural. One commentator put it this way, being a, a rugged individualist, which is the kind of the mantra of our day, will only lead to self-cannibalization. Any push for independence from the community is really a push towards one's own demise. So this is important in the, in the reconstruction pro process because to rebuild the community, you need, you need the community to do that. You can't do it by yourself. So Paul says, this is who you are. You're God's temple. You're holy and you're secure in Christ. And finally, he reminds them and us whose we are. Look at verse 23. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So Paul closes this part of his thought process by telling them, you don't belong to me. I mean, Paul can't even remember really who he's baptized. Is that, is that who you want to belong to? He can't even remember when he dunked you under the water. You don't belong to Apollos. You don't belong to Cephas. You don't belong to any other uh, uh, Christian leader. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. So what this says to you, believer, no matter what you're walking through in life, whether you're suffering right now or, or you're entering into suffering or you're just coming out of it, what this means for you is that you are doubly kept. Did you see that in the, in the, in the scripture there? Paul says, essentially, Christ holds you, holds you in his hand. You are kept by Christ. And then God is holding Christ in his hand. 
which means we are held both in, in the hand of Christ and in the hand of God at the very same time. So we are doubly, doubly kept. And so in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, Paul speaks in more detail concerning this comfort that is implied with this reality of being doubly kept. This is what he writes. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason we can be called God's temple and the reason we belong to Christ in this way, that we are doubly kept, is because of what Christ has done. Not because of anything that you have done or accomplished or will accomplish or anything that you haven't done. It is only because of what Christ has done. Because Christ is the true temple. And John, he talks about, he tells them, everybody around them, this temple will be destroyed, and in three days, this temple will be raised up again. So this, this true temple was destroyed, so that the temple that we are reconstructing now would not be. As someone daftly pointed out, God's ironic wisdom is this. It was the very destruction of the temple, Christ's body, that would become the foundation of the temple of God, the Holy Spirit's building, the church. So it's through Christ's person and work, Christ our sure foundation that ensures that all things are ours, as Paul says in closing there. Our leaders, the world, life and death, the present, and even the world to come. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we have beheld great things from your word today, these great truths of the gospel that remind us again and again of not only who we are in Christ, but whose we are in Christ, that we, that we are doubly kept, that we, that we find ourselves in the hand of Christ and in the hand of God at the very same time, and I pray that as a community, that is what would bring us comfort, that is what will bring us unity that will that will that will enable us to 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 build this this beautiful community you call the church and so god i pray uh even for those here today who don't yet know you that they would come to understand the truth and reality of the gospel of jesus christ that it is only through jesus that they can be saved and we pray all of these things in the name of christ amen